Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837, and FSP, dedicated to food service excellence. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, we've come today to the end of our Advent season, the fourth Sunday of Advent. And it's only appropriate that in the readings, it's as though the whole of the Old Testament is gathering. The Old Testament is seen by Christians as the anticipation for Christ, the preparation for Christ. And now we see in these readings as though all the seers and sages and prophets and patriarchs are coming together and they're pointing in the direction of Christ. There are three figures and three lessons I want to concentrate on in this homily. The first one comes from the prophet Micah. We don't hear from Micah all that often during the liturgical year, but he has a magnificent reading today. Listen. Thus says the Lord, You, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too small to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Extraordinary prophecy from the minor prophet Micah. Not one of the major prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, or Ezekiel. Micah's a minor prophet. And so he appropriately speaks of this minor city, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Now we know it. It's the birthplace of Christ. But in the Old Testament times, Bethlehem was this tiny little village, barely a speck on the map, if it was on a map. Even to this day, Bethlehem is a small place. But in the Old Testament times, the town that you'd go right through without noticing it. And yet, from this little town, Micah predicts, the mighty Messiah will come. How common this theme is in the Bible, from beginning to end. The reversal of expectations. The little giving rise to the great. Look not to worldly splendor, but look to the tiny and the out of the way and the insignificant, for that's where God is going to be found. The stuttering Moses is the one who speaks to mighty Pharaoh. Lord, send somebody else. Don't send me. I'm, I'm no one to speak. And yet, that's the one that God sends to speak to Pharaoh. The slaves face down the mighty army of Egypt. That's God's way. Tiny David, little David, kills the giant Goliath. And how appropriate that last image is now for Micah's prediction. For Bethlehem Ephrathah is the city of David. It's the city of that little shepherd king. Remember the story? The prophet Samuel is told by God that he should go anoint the next king. 
He'll be one of the sons of Jesse. Jesse lives in Bethlehem, Ephrathah. So the prophet goes and he sees Jesse and he says, Bring out your sons and I will anoint one of them, the king of Israel. So out come all the splendid sons of Jesse, one by one. And Samuel says, No, that's not the one. No, it's not him. No, not that one. Finally, he says, Well, are those all the sons you have? Jesse says, Well, there, there is little David, the youngest. He's out in the field tending the sheep. Bring him to me, says Samuel. And when he comes, the prophet knows and he anoints him. And the Bible says, The Spirit of God rushed on David. That's how it works with the God of the Bible. Great things tend to come from the small. Why is it true? Last week I told you that God is a communion of love. That's what God is. The Father, Son, and Spirit letting go of themselves in love. The greatness of God is precisely in His humility. The greatness of God is the greatness of love that lets go of the self. It's the sinful world that identifies greatness, greatness with the aggrandizement of the ego, with gathering all kinds of goods around oneself. But the Bible keeps saying over and over again, that's not real greatness. And so this lesson. You want to know where the Messiah is coming from? Look to little out-of-the-way Bethlehem Ephrathah. That's where the Messiah is coming from. Great things come from small things. You know, the last of the Lord of the Rings trilogy is appearing just now, really, as I'm speaking to you. Who's the hero of that story? Well, there are all kinds of impressive, great figures. Elves and wizards and men. But they aren't the heroes of the story. The hero is little Frodo, the hobbit a halfling, a little person that you wouldn't normally notice. Why is he the hero? Because he's the only one in that whole company who is humble enough to carry the terrible burden of the ring. All the other great people would have been seduced by its power and undermined by it. But Frodo is the one who is small enough and humble enough to perform this great task. I've told you many times, Tolkien was a Catholic, and that story is filled with the biblical spirit. Great things come from small things. There's a first lesson now from this fourth Sunday of Advent. Second figure and second lesson is Elizabeth. Listen to the Gospel. Mary set out proceeding in haste into the hill country to a town of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby stirred in her womb. Elizabeth, Elizabeth, the cousin of Mary, the one who was thought to be sterile, is now in her sixth month. Elizabeth stands for a whole group of Old Testament women. Sarah the mother of Isaac. Sarah was an old woman in her 80s or 90s when she becomes pregnant. She who is thought to be sterile gives birth. The unnamed woman 
who's the mother of Samson, the great prophet. She too is thought to be sterile, and she gives birth. And one of the most moving stories in the Old Testament, Hannah, who is thought to be sterile, and she prays and she prays in the temple, and then she gives birth to Samuel, the prophet I just mentioned before. These women, and they are recapitulated in the figure of Elizabeth, they stand for Israel. Sterile in sin, yes. Sterile in infidelity, yes. Incapable of achieving salvation on their own, yes. They stand for the human race, bedeviled by sin. But yet, but yet, in and through God's grace, even these lifeless people can give birth. Through God's grace, even our sin can be transformed. Through God's grace, even impossible places become the ground of possibility and hope and life. You know what's wonderful in the Old Testament? There's not one bit of the myth of human perfectibility. What I mean here is the view common to many cultures that somehow we human beings are heroic, that we can make ourselves good and right and perfect. Not one bit of that in the Bible. Not one bit of it. They are well aware of our limitations, our hopelessness, our powerlessness. And yet, they're equally aware, they're more aware of God's transforming grace that can bring from that darkness light, can bring from that lifelessness life. And therefore, the lesson of Elizabeth, never give up hope. Never give up hope. Never give up hope. There's no life in me. I know, but there's life in God. There's nothing but sin in me. I know, but there's grace in God. And so never give up hope. She who was thought to be sterile is now in her sixth month. All things are possible with God. Third figure and third lesson is Mary herself. And she makes her entrance here in this fourth Sunday of Advent anticipating now the birth of her son. Mary in the Gospels is symbolically evocative of Israel. In some ways, if Elizabeth, the sterile woman, is, is Israel in its lifelessness, Mary stands for Israel at its best. Israel when it's faithful. Israel when it's true, when it trusts in God's mercy. Do you remember in John's Gospel the account of the wedding feast at Cana. There's Mary with Jesus, and she says, they have no more wine. It's as though she's speaking for the whole of Israel that had run out of life, that had run out of what makes life wonderful. And she notices that, and like a prophet, she says to the Lord, they've run out of wine. And then in that wonderful line, she says to the steward, do whatever he tells you. Christians, that's Israel at its best. Israel when it trusts in the Lord. That's what Mary stands for. 
As our gospel opens, she's just heard the word of the angel telling her she is to be the mother of God. And she trusts. She believes. She accepts the word. And what does that do? It leads to our gospel today. Mary setting out in haste, proceeding into the hill country. When you trust in God, when you've turned your life over to God, when you allow God to work in you, then you are filled with zeal and energy and life and mission, and you know what to do and where to go. I love the fact here that Mary goes, she moves, and she knows where she's going and what she's about. I think I've told you before, in Dante's Divine Comedy, when he's on the Mount of Purgatory and he comes to the level where the slothful are found, those who are just too lazy in life, they're made to run, and as they run, they hear this passage over and over again. And she went in haste. And she went in haste. Mary is filled with trust in God, and so she knows where to go and what to do. I love Elizabeth's benediction to Mary. Quote, Blessed is she who trusted that the Lord's words to her would be fulfilled. What's Mary's grace? That she cooperated with God's purposes. That she trusted. Did she clearly see what was coming? No. Remember that great prayer of Thomas Merton. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. Well, that's like all of us. We don't see the future clearly. Neither did Mary. Yet she said yes. The three great lessons, therefore... Great things come from small things. That's the message of Micah. Never give up hope. That's the message of Elizabeth. Trust always. That's Mary's message. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.